Have you ever wondered what it would be like to move thousands of miles away from everything you've known your entire childhood to pursue your dream only to find out that maybe at some point someone says you're not good enough to continue, but it's in that moment of adversity and self-awareness that you tap into the next dream. Today's guest is a retired professional soccer player who, when confronted with the reality that his playing career was at its end, has now found a way to reinvent himself as not only the head coach of a wildly successful professional team in the Flint City Bucks, but is now the owner and president of one of the fastest growing international academies in the entire country. Welcome to At The Podium. Hello again, and welcome to At The Podium with Manuel Mesqua. As most of you know, I'm a financial advocate to my clients, the chief executive officer at Mass Mutual Great Lakes, a father, husband, and massive sports fan. I'm obsessed with understanding how high-achieving people learn and continue to pursue and attack their dreams for their life. The podcast is meant to give you the tools to achieve your dreams and reach your highest potential through learning from the past of some of the most incredible people in the world. Today's guest can help you do just that. Andy Wagstaff, hailing from England, moves to the United States at the age of 18 to continue playing soccer, played at Oakland University, made it to the national semifinals, national championship in 1994, and has gone on to have an incredible coaching career. Today, he serves as the head coach of the Flint City Bucks, our very own Bucks, and shout out to my team, Snyder Financial in Flint, Michigan. And he's also the president and owner of the Liverpool Football Club, International Academy of Michigan. After Andy decided to hang up the cleats as a professional footballer, he found his next passion in growing and building an organization that's become one of the fastest growing academies in the entire nation. Welcome, Andy. Yeah. Thanks again for having me. This is a, this is a pleasure and an honor. So, you know, I was thinking about all the different directions we can go in today's conversation. I absolutely want to begin with your childhood because you might be the first person that the, the show has had on that was not born here in the U.S., Literally. So of all the people in professional sports, athletes, active, retired, and coaches, you might be the first one. So walk us through where you grew up, share a little bit about your family, and connect that to your love for soccer. Yeah, I grew up in, in a small town in, in the northwest of England called Wigan and stayed there until I was 18 years of age. Very fortunate to have a very loving family, uh, uh, my mom and dad and my brother, Tony, a little bit older than I am. And they're all there, by the way, they're all in England right now. So yeah, I just started playing soccer at an early age, five or six years of age. And you know that in, in uh, Europe in general, but especially in England, it's it's like, it's life, you know, it's what <laughs> it's everyone life. wants to do every single day and everyone dreams of being professional. So yeah, I started on an early journey that realized I was, I was decent. I always played with older boys. And a couple couple girls, and they always, me being the shortest guy on the pitch, because that's what I am, I, I got beat, beat up a little bit on there and on the pitch and um, learned to grow up quite quickly. So I was very, very fortunate that uh, at the age of 14, I was offered a schoolboy contract with Huddersfield Town, who were a professional club in England. And then at 16, I was offered a what's called a YTS, the Youth Training Scheme Professional Apprentice Role. 
And what that was, was back in the late 80s in, in Margaret Thatcher's Britain, she had a, a YTS training scheme for all the students. When you leave school, which was at 16 years of age in England, you would go off and you would either get a trade or you would, if you were fortunate, you would get an athletic not scholarship, but um, two-year, you know, apprenticeship. And that's what I was fortunate to get wow. offered, yeah, by Berry Football Club, which is a, a club near Manchester. And um, yeah, I had a wonderful time. I didn't, at the time, I didn't think I would have to move away from home because 16 is young to, to move away from home, but I did. The manager of the club at the time made us all move away and stay in a house. And I remember living in a house with a, a family of like seven, lived in the attic uh, for, for two years, it was freezing cold up there. And uh, we trained and played every single day. And it was um, it was an amazing experience, but it was a tough one. You know, we, we went through some adversity or I went through some adversity during those two years. And and then uh, at 18, I was given a, a great opportunity to, to come over to the US. I'm still blown away. Well, first of all, when you brought up the era of Margaret Thatcher, yeah. you know, that, 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 gosh, we could go, yeah. you know, oh, that, yeah. that's a story in itself. But I, I vaguely recalled this program from either having read it or watched it in some type of historical documentary on TV at some point in time. So when you mentioned it, I remembered it. Mm-hmm. How hard was it at that age, such a young age to say, I mean, kids are barely ready to leave home for college at 18. Right. You left home at 16. How tough was that decision for your parents and for you? It was surreal because, you know, it was very tough. It was very tough on the family. I mean, I'm still extremely close to my mom and dad. And, you know, my dad always had the outlook on life of like, hey, get get on with it, get after it, take your opportunities. And my mom was my mom and she didn't want me to leave home. And it was very daunting for, for my family to see me living with a host family, essentially 45 minutes to an hour away. Really, it wasn't that far away, but they, you know, they didn't pop in and see me every day because the club wanted us to grow up and grow up sure. quickly and prove quickly that you were worthy of becoming a professional footballer, which was what we all wanted to do. And there was there was some tough times. I mean, you walk into a professional club in England in the late 80s, early 90s, and they know you want to be a pro and they're going to do everything they can to test your psychology yep. and, your, and your mental toughness. And, you know, looking back, I, I probably wasn't as mentally tough as I needed to be at that time because... I had a wonderful upbringing. You know, I got looked after by my mom and dad with a lot of love and care and passion and compassion and and, and everything about my upbringing was, didn't lead me to an environment where you needed to grow up quickly at 16 years of age. But that was, that was the environment back then, you know? So we, we, I did two years and, and it was a tough two years. You know, they challenged us every single day. I mean, I just, you know, a couple of stories of, yeah, my, please. My, yeah, you know, my first day, I'm 16 years of age. I move away from home and, my, you know, my mom's mom and dad are excited for me, but really sad, you know, that I'm leaving home. And I remember um, I was was training in the morning and and the coach or the, the, the uh, youth team coach at the time came to us and said, hey, everyone needs to make sure you shower before the afternoon training session. So I went into the locker room and, you know, realized that no one was showering because everyone was afraid of showering in front of each other. We were only young, <laughs> young lads, you know, and uh, so I didn't shower, you know, and that afternoon I might have been the only one that had a little bit of dirt on my leg. And the the coach come up to me and he said, did you shower this morning? And I knew that was a crossroads for me and him. Do I tell a white lie and say, you know, yes, I did. Yeah. Or do I just be honest? And I've always had that. I've always had the ability to just be honest. Yeah. I said, no coach, I, I, I didn't shower. I'm, I'm so sorry. And uh, he was so upset with me. He made me clean up all the equipment on the field. They, all the lads jumped in a van, drove down to the end of the school driveway, which was a good, you know, 300, 400 yards away. So I ran down there with all the equipment and they opened up the back of the van door for me to jump in. It was kind of like a movie. I'm like running, trying to catch up with them, you know, like like the planes flying away, you know, and I'm like running down. 
I'm running down with all this equipment. And just as I got within 20 uh, feet, one of the lads shut the doors and they just drove away. And it was about a mile away from the stadium. And I remember walking back, it was raining. I got what? back to the stadium. Yeah. I got back to the stadium and I walked in and I was, yeah, I was so upset, you know, and, and the coach come up to me and he goes, right. He goes, you got away lightly. He goes, uh, go and clean the, the cafeteria. And I had to go in and clean the cafeteria. I had to sweep the, the floors in the locker room. I mean, it was it was endless the way that they treated us back then. And, and then other stories, just like, you know, the, the older lads who were in the program as well, just to sort of test your nerve and your mental toughness. There was days where the lights, we'd be all sitting having lunch in the, uh, in the locker room. Back in England, they call it the dressing room. And the lights would go out and everyone would just start fighting. And I was just like... What am, wow. What's going on right now? You know, so there's there was a lot of moments that I dealt with in them two years that you know I think shaped me as a as a as a coach and as a parent as, and as a son and a brother and that'll live with me for the rest of my life. But there, there are ways that I wouldn't want anyone to you know to have to go through. But that's what they made you do to 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 try to be a professional player back then. Yeah, I mean, when I hear you share those stories, one, <laughs> it's it's easy to smile and chuckle. Yeah, thirty years later. Right. But I'm thinking 16 years old, that had to be extremely difficult emotionally. Yeah. yeah. And then when I also think about the Liverpool Football Club internationally, International Academy of Michigan today, gosh, that's the opposite end of the spectrum Completely. in terms of professionalism and excellence yeah. and unity. And, you know, you the yeah. saying of you never walk alone, oh, yeah. you know, the Liverpool way, like it just, it's, it's so beautiful to see what you've been able to create here in Michigan. How did those... How did those childhood experiences shape who you are today as a coach, a mentor, a developer of young men and women, both with the Flint City Bucks and LCIA Michigan? Yeah, I think going through those those times, and again, you know, most of my upbringing was was fantastic, and uh, but just those two years were were rough, and you had to learn how to, to survive. You know, I yeah. wanted to be a professional player so so much that I just, I, I managed to to grow up quickly and, and deal with all the challenges that were thrown my way and getting released as an 18-year-old. So in England, what they do Oh, that's is, right. Yeah. Tell yeah. us the story. So so you do your two years as, a, as, a, as an apprentice professional. And then come the end of two years, you sit down with the managers and the coaches and they tell you whether they're going to offer you an extended pro contract or not. And I didn't, I didn't realize that dream, you know, and all I ever wanted to be as a, as a young kid was a professional player. So when that, when that got told no, I went off and tried, I went at a training session in a game with Everton and a few other big clubs. And I was just getting told no everywhere. It was either financial or my size or whatever it might've been. I just wasn't going to cut it at the professional level in England at the time. So I was very fortunate that there's a small group of, of players in the UK that had a specific level of education, qualification in, in school. I came away with nine GCSEs, which is like the, the most you can qualify with out of school. Okay. So I was invited to a combine uh, with 55 other players. And at that combine, there was a bunch of college coaches from America. Mm. And at that combine is where you played two games in, in um, a day for two days. And then we met with the college coaches and you got offered a scholarship. And I was fortunate to get offered two scholarships. One was Central Connecticut State University that I turned down. And the other one was Oakland University. A guy called Gary Parsons, who is a dear friend of mine and is a, a mentor and was my coach at the time and is now the general manager of the Bucks, the Flint City Bucks. Oh. We've been together for many, many years. And he saw something in me that he felt was going to be beneficial to Oakland <clears throat> University. So I came over in the early 90s and, and that's how the journey began. And I think how it shaped me was going through that adversity just made me resilient, yes. tougher, stronger, 
but always with a, a vision that I would never treat people the way that I was treated at that time. There's such a special story there in what Gary Parsons did yeah. by extending that offer to you, right? We, we often talk about how, you know, at times we have this like nominal micro win in our life and people recognize you and they're like, oh, you know, congratulations. That's so great. That's so special. And it all goes back to this one man or woman yep. in this one moment in life where they saw something in us that maybe we weren't even seeing in ourselves as a possibility, right? I can't believe that you're sitting there at the end of two days of playing two games saying, I can't wait to go to Oakland County, Michigan to live the rest of my life, right? And Gary literally not only changed your life, but he like he's impacted millions of people through this path that now he brought you on to the great state of Michigan. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. If I think back to that, the offer that I got, so I got offered the, the opportunity to go to Central Connecticut State. At the time, the, the head coach was Sean Green, an English guy, and he wasn't able to meet me that night, but Gary did. And he met my mom and dad. And, oh. he, and he was so honest and straight with the way that he communicated with my mom and dad. Now, Sean was an English fella. So my mom and dad, obviously, they've only known English men at that time. Gary being an American was, was new. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking that they would have wanted me to go to Central Connecticut with Sean being an English bloke. But no, they were like, Gary is a straight shooter. He was so honest and he was so straight with us that we feel confident sending him, sending you to play for him in America. So I remember he drove to my house. He came over to the house <laughs> a couple of days later. And it's funny because my brother, I think at the time, you know, probably would have preferred me not to go. Uh, I think he would have loved me to have stayed because we were close in age and very close. He was reading the newspaper and it was, I think it was like MC Hammer in Oakland, California. Okay. And he says to me, he goes, there's all this, this, all this shooting and it's just not, it's not a good place, but it was, it was in the newspaper, but it was Oakland, Oakland California. California. So, so I asked Gary, I'm like, Hey, is this safe? Is it, you know, yeah. this place? And he goes, that's Oakland, California. That's not <laughs> Oakland County, Michigan. So, so it was okay. We, you know, I managed to, to, to sign the NLI and, um, you know, the rest is history. Well, kudos to Gary Parsons. Yeah. And Gary, congrats on the on the club, Flint City Box. I mean, it's a special club. One of our top practices in the country mm-hmm. is based out of Flint, Michigan, Snyder Financial, headed up by Jeff Snyder and his children, Amanda and Aaron, and they're big advocates and supporters of the club. And so congrats again to the success you're having at, with the Flint City Bucks. It's been great. Love it. Tell me a little bit. Let, let's talk a little bit about your time playing at Oakland. Yeah. Coming from Chicago, Oakland University wasn't really on my radar till I arrive in Michigan. I arrive in Michigan, and everywhere I turn, I see Oakland University. I see all these wonderful people who've gone to school there. Yeah. They've gotten an education there. They've played sports at a high level there. The administration is incredible. I've had the blessing to meet the president. Yeah. And great place. What What are a couple of the stories or memories that you have from your time at Oakland that you're most fond of? Yeah, I think the the thing that resonated with me so much about Oakland when I got here was how together the group was and mm. how much of a culture that Gary had created. And And the assistant manager at the time was was Steve Sargent. And the other assistant was Morris Lupinak, who runs Vardar and is a friend of mine. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Morris, <laughs> Morris was the, the assistant coach there at the time as well. And the, the culture was just about each other, about team. team. Everything was team first. Anytime anyone did something that, that was not putting the team first, they were called out about it. And that was the culture. Now, we were division two at the time. And, you know, I think 
we went and played Michigan only had a club team at the time, but we would play Michigan and beat them every time. Then we played Michigan State every year. And I've got some friends that played there in the similar, you know, the same era. And we beat Michigan State every time to the point where they, they took us off the schedule. <laughs> and uh, we we had- Spartans. We had, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I got good friends there, so I can say that. But, yeah. you know, there's a lot of lads on the team that were from Israel and England and then local Michigan-based lads that, you know, you throw all these fellas together from all around the world- how do you manage to come together and, and form an amazing group of players? And we and we did. So the four years I was there, some fond memories. My sophomore year, we got to the NCAA um, Final Four. We got beat by Tampa in Tampa. And then my- That was 1991, right? That was 92. Oh, 92? Uh, 92, yes. Okay. In 91, we got beat in the first round on penalty kicks. There's a little quick story there. Gary went over the scouting report before the game. Yeah. And he said, if we go to penalty kicks, the keeper always dives to his right. I didn't hear that and I didn't listen to that. And he still reminds me of it. And guess who took the third penalty kick and shot the ball to the keeper's right? Yeah. And the keeper saved it. <sighs> and we went out in the first round of the NCAAs. But anyway, second year, we got to the uh, semifinal. My senior year, we got to the national final. So it was amazing. Yes. It was amazing. We we ended up losing. Who did you play? We played Tampa again. Okay. They were, they were home. You know, we ended up losing 3-0 in in. In wow. overtime, you know, in extra time, in overtime, yeah. it was 3-0. There was no golden goal back then. But the the most incredible memory was the semifinal. We're playing against, this is at Tampa. We're playing Seattle Pacific and they're beating us 3-1 with 15 minutes to go. And we came back to to beat them 6-4. And that was, I'll never forget that game. Wow. Yeah, that was, but that was like, that was a one example of who we were. Yes. And the culture that Gary Parsons built. Yes not only with that team, but now generations of men that have gone on to lead and, yes. and, and good, good guys that have, have been great citizens. So, I'm a huge fan of our friends at Sport of Kings out in LA. And as a listener of this show, you've got to check them out. Sport of Kings is an LA-based clothing brand that was started by two surfers and longtime friends. The story's incredible. They carry a wide range of premium tees, hoodies, sweats, caps, and more. And they're designed in-house folks made locally in Los Angeles and Orange County. Samantha and Ava and Atlas say, Dad, you're either in a blue suit and white shirt or Sport of Kings. And they're right. That's about it. Don't forget, Sport of Kings is a homegrown brand focused on quality over quantity. And if you go check them out online at S-O-K-F-Y. So basically, Sport of Kings Forever Young, S-O-K-F-Y dot com. And use the promo code PODIUM. You'll receive 20% off your entire order. Again, that's S-O-K-F-Y dot com. And use the promo code PODIUM at checkout for 20% off. And now back to the show. Well, and, and I've and, and I've observed uh, in any of the major sports, uh, at least the ones in the U.S., which includes soccer, I, soccer has to be the most aggressively growing sport in the country right now. It certainly is. By far. Yes. I've noticed that coaches have very different styles. Ch uh, championship coaches. Yes. Basketball, football, soccer, baseball, like different styles and still build – championship caliber club. Yeah. What are a couple of the ways that you might describe Gary Parsons' leadership coaching style? Just extremely direct, extremely honest, always integrity first, 
and fair, you know, like honestly, yeah. like as a player, you might not want to hear the truth sometimes, sure, but you're not going to get better if you don't. So he was always straight with us and it was always about, it was more than just winning with Gary and it's the underlying it drive to win was, you could see the passion in him, you know, as a leader. So can you think of a time when coach Parsons being fair disadvantaged the team's outcome in a game? No, I, 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 yeah, I mean, I don't think so. I think he was just honest and fair and would never compromise the, 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 the success of the team for each individual's emotions or sure. feelings that I'm aware of. Yeah, was, he, and of even, and even now as my mentor with the Flint city books, I go to him about tough decisions that I have to make with yeah. players because the compassion in you doesn't want to tell a player that they're not going to, you know, make the starting lineup or they're not going to make the, the, you know, the squad or they're going to get cut. Yes. That's tough. Yeah. Gary is very uh, direct and understands. He can empathize, but he's like, hey, it's life. And you've just got to be honest. That's it. Yep. That's great. When you look forward to the type of coach you've been, both with the academy program, but also because when you when you first took over the academy, you were doing it all. Yeah. Yeah. So so yeah. So, yeah. so when you think of like your coaching style and philosophies today, how would you describe yourself to someone you're recruiting either to the academy or to the Bucks? I think that, you know, the feedback I've got, because it's important to get feedback from your players. Always. Whether it's youth players, parents of yep. youth players, or they've always given me the credit of being very, very honest and treating people with respect. And I've even got some friends of mine that have never seen me coach that don't, they're like, I don't even know how you manage to coach these young prof yeah. professionals. Like they're, you know, I'm pretty short, right? I'm five, five on a good day, you know? Yeah. And these guys are six, three, six, four, and the, you know, the top and it, and they're like, how do you, how do you do it? And I think they, I've always managed to show them how much I care. And I think that they've ended up in return, giving me everything that they can give me. So I think yes. the success that I may have had as a coach has become, has come from honesty, integrity. Look, I can flip the switch and get after a group of players if I need to, mm -hmm. if they're not performing. But for the most part, it was always just the, the, the compassion that I showed the players to, to nurture them through. I want to focus on the Flint City Bucks for a minute. Yeah. Because I, I want to get to Liverpool. Yeah, no. You know right. how much yeah. I love the club yeah, and I yeah. want to talk about that. I want to talk about the vision and, and all the explosive growth that I've seen over the last several years with that club. Uh, the Flint City Bucks, can you think of a time, can you think of a time where you did or said something? And within that same day, you were like, that was a mistake. I need, like, yeah. not only do I need to walk that back, but tell us the story and how you walked it back. Yeah. I don't know if I was able to walk it back on this one. Uh, <laughs> no, it was, you know, just, just decisions that you make all of the time. I know going into the national semifinal this year, I feel like I'll, I'll be the first to admit, I feel like I didn't quite get it right. And it was just, uh, we played on Friday night against Des Moines Menace, number one in the country, unbeaten in 20 games, Yes, national champions. Yeah. You know, we we go down to their place. There's 5,000 fans. They go up 1-0 after two minutes, which was completely against the game plan, as you can imagine. Like, let's just <laughs> keep these lads shut out for as long as we can. Well, they scored in two minutes, which was actually a blessing in disguise. We end up coming back to 1-1, playing some good stuff. We beat them on penalty kicks. We silenced the crowd. And then... Then the next, we had we had 36 hours to get the lads back again for the next game. 
And we essentially only had 17 players because one of our lads in the, in the, in the semifinal got sent off or the quarterfinal got sent off. So we're down to 17. So I remember sitting in, in with my staff after the match and we said, and one of my staff members, Cameron Baker, did a great job for us. Cam was like, we need to completely refresh the team, like bring the subs in. Yes. You know, seven, six, seven subs. You know, we flew another player in as well for the weekend. Just go with a different lineup for the, for the, for the national semifinal two days later. And Paul Doro, who's my associate head coach, he's also at Oakland University. Paul was like, no, you know, we stick with the same lineup. So we'd won all those games leading up. We'd won four or five games on the bounce. And it was that moment that I had to make a decision. And, and the decision I made was to stay with the lineup. The lineup. And I, I think you could go either way. You could, was it Monday morning quarterback? You could go back and say in hindsight. And and, I, and fortunately, Gary has come to me and said, no, no, you, you made the right choice because later on, if you'd have put guys who weren't fresh in the game, you still might have had the same result. Sure. So we ended up going with the, 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 the same lineup. And I knew straight away within like 30 minutes, we just didn't have it. We didn't have the legs. And I, at halftime, the way I backed out of it was I made some changes, but maybe a little bit too late, you know, at that point. Yeah. The, the, and the final outcome of that game was? They ended up, we lost to Ventura County. They beat us 1-0 okay. and they had a great game plan. And I, they yeah. came out and said, you're going to be better than us. So we'll sit off you and we'll yeah. counter. And they counted and scored and they won and won, won the national championship, which it was what wow. was most devastating about that loss was mostly for Costa Papista, who's the president and owner of Flint City Books, Dan Duggan, yeah. you know, owner, and Gary Parsons, like, and all the staff. I wanted them to get, we would have been at home the next oh, week against yes. Flint. And I wanted the, the people of Flint, I wanted to have I wanted, that. I wanted our leadership to, to play in front of six or 7,000 fans, but I just couldn't quite get it over the line. So. Yeah. I've always found you to be an exceptionally thoughtful and thorough planner and strategist. Right. I've watched you for years when you have a little bit of time to be at the academy program and you strike me as like this quiet observer that's taking notes little by little. I see coaches like rotate in and out of your presence during these practices yeah. and these tryouts. Yeah. What is what are some of the things that you're taking under consideration already as you look to next season? Yeah, I mean, I appreciate that. I think you're right. I mean, I remember back in 2011, I was working at the University of Michigan as the assistant, and mm. Steve Burns, the head coach at the time, said to me, "You know, Wags, he goes, you've, you're a fine detail fella," and I, it's always stuck with me. I never realized that at the time, but I do obsess about some of the details, and maybe to the point of where I freeze in action sometimes because I'm still trying to work out all the, the fine details. Mm -hmm. But no, the, yeah, the way I operate the club at the minute like is mostly I'm not as on the field as much as I would like. I've mm -hmm. got I've got really incredible staff members that do that. As mm -hmm. you know, Simona Makanda, Kevin Garner, Danny Price, Ben Jones, Jen Perkins, Demir Muftari. I mean, brilliant people. So I can leave a lot of that to them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I do go come around, I actually, I don't want people to feel nervous at all. You know, right. it makes me nervous to think that yeah. they're slightly nervous around me and they shouldn't be. Um, so no, it's a, it's a really respectful environment. It's, um, it's, a, it's a strong club. It's a great club. And we've got some long-term plans that we're excited about. The vision in the short term though, honestly, is to just de develop every player that we've got, every child that we've got in our presence as good people more than anything else. Yeah. That's, our, that's our vision. Take us through, as we pivot to, 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 to speak about the Liverpool Football Club International Academy of Michigan, uh, take us through where that all started. Mm -hmm. Because it was an LFCIA Michigan. Right. Right? And it was forced, yeah. It was forced, that's right. Take us back to when it was forced. 
And what was happening at that time that you saw this as an opportunity? So I would say uh, my sophomore year in at Oakland University, my roommate was coaching for Bloomfield Force, mm-hmm. and he was an engineer, Jim Harrison, and he was very busy. And he said, he said, Andy, could you could you cover for me? So I went out to Bloomfield, covered a couple of sessions for him, ended up getting to meet three people that ran the organization at the time, and they liked me, and they said, listen, we want to keep you. And Jim, my roommate, was like, please take it. I'm too busy. Yeah. So I started with the Bloomfield Force in 1993, I think. Okay. There was three teams at that time. There were 45 players in the club, and I was just a coach, and I ended up coaching one of the teams. It helped me pay my way through college, a little bit of pocket money. And then I realized that I really enjoyed coaching. So in sort of mid-90s, Bloomfield Force offered me the, the job as the director of coaching, and I was in charge of the recreational league and also the travel. And the, and the vision was build the travel program from three teams to as big as you can. So okay. I went on this journey. I realized that the way to do it was to start with the five, six, seven-year-olds. And, and I created a couple of development programs where I would go in in the summer and train these kids, select them, send them a letter back then yeah. to say, you've been selected. I love for, it. Yeah. And we brought them in. And that, you know, the, the first group of girls and boys that I had, they were, they were, one was uh, 1989 birth year and one was 1990 girl, girls and boys. And I took the 1989 girls all the way through to they were 19 years of age. Wow. Right? So I coached them from being under nine yes. to under 19. Wow. And in 2007 and 2008, we won the national championships back to back, which was amazing. That was an amazing moment. So, and the best thing about that, Manny, was that back in that time, there wasn't all of the different leagues and governing bodies. It was just one. So if you won your state cup, you went to regionals. If you won your regionals, you went to nationals. We went to nationals two years in a row and we won it back to back both years. It was incredible. How special. I had a, gr- a group of uh, young ladies. One just got in, into the Hall of Fame at Michigan State last week. Oh, just, just amazing. Like, you know, incredible. Captains of the universities, yes. Oakland and, and Michigan State, and just some amazing memories. So off the back of that, we were hoping to continue with success and we did well. But, uh, you know, fast forward from, you know, 2008, 2009 to 2016. At this stage, I am now coaching in college and also running the club, but not really coaching any teams. And we realized an opportunity with Liverpool, a guy that that used to come over to Oakland University to do camps in the summer, got a job as the head of football at Liverpool. Wow. So I reached out to him. Wow. Right? Randomly. I'd not spoke to him for, and he got right back at me. His name's Nick Marshall. And he said, I said, hey, we would love to do something with Liverpool. What's the chances? And he said, absolutely. Here's the people to speak to. And- so 2016 was when we we came into the market and rebranded as Liverpool. And we went into the the partnership with Liverpool with 400 players training at Ultimate Soccer, which is now uh, UWM Sports Complex. And now collectively, so we were, we were one site, 400 kids. Now we're 2,000 kids and six locations and about to expand into a couple of different areas. Yeah. I mean, I, I, want, I want people to, you know, our listeners to really capture what happened there. I mean, I... You know, if you really think about it, in a five-year stretch, the club grew 500%. <laughs> and, I mean, one location to six locations, 400 student-athletes to 2,000-plus student-athletes, yeah. 500% growth. Yeah. Any sales organization, including mine, right. Right. would like to, to experience that <laughs> on a five-year run. Yeah. Break that down. What are two or three of the things that you'd say 
Manny, these are the things yeah. that were just game changers for us in growing this business. Yeah. I So the first step was to make sure that we continued to retain and hire the top the top performers. We already had them, Manny. You know, you've, you've you know a lot of my staff. Yeah, I just want to. I do. I do want to do a shameless plug for uh, for Coach Jen Perkins and Simona Makanda and Cliff. I do want to do a shameless plug for the three of them. They've they've coached, mentored, developed our children, Avon Atlas, and I. I see their mentorship, their servant leadership lessons in Avon Atlas today. And I just, I want to say that. I appreciate that. And we've got people who've been with us for 20 years, Steve Cook, and just amazing, amazing coaches. So we already had great people. And when we went, when we became Liverpool, I said, you know what, all, all that's going to happen with this initial move is that the, the, the spotlight is going to shine on who we already have. And we weren't seemingly able to get that word out there. But then when we became Liverpool, rebranded, Marketing and advertising was crucial. Kathy Judge administration sure. with with Karen Parker, yes. amazing work they yeah. they do. And so again, mostly amazing people. Then we rehired or we hired new people, but then we also started to hire former players who mm-hmm. understood the DNA of the of the club. That was important for us. And I think just the I think the the, the thing that made the massive impact was the fact that a lot of clubs that do a great job, it's all about win win win. And I understand that you know yep. people want to win. And we do too, but we had a developmental pathway or we do have a development pathway that takes your children through the stages of the Liverpool curriculum, which is something that is gold dust. So we were very, we've been very fortunate to be able to be a bit different in the market, you know, come Mm -hmm. to us. We can help you essentially almost like going through school. You'll go from first grade to second grade to third grade with soccer knowledge with the mm-hmm. with the game and the understanding. So I think then were the big things that made a difference for us. Can you speak a little bit, because I've seen it firsthand for four years, can you speak a little bit more to that developmental pathway? Because I yeah. do I do just genuinely believe that is an absolute unique differentiator of the club compared to the others I've seen. Appreciate that. And I see that in the young men and women as I interact with them. Yeah almost like adults at times. Yeah, no, it, it, it's true. It's brilliant because up until becoming Liverpool, I, I feel like I had a good philosophy. You know, my style of coaching and development was absorbed by all the staff and we, we had a good thing going. We proven we proved that we could develop national champions and we did that. But Andy Wagstaff saying, this is my curriculum, doesn't quite have the same impact as Liverpool and yeah. the same amount of expertise that's gone into developing that, that curriculum over the years. So literally the curriculum we have is from Liverpool Football Club. Now, granted, over the years, it's been developing male players, mm-hmm. but now the women's team is doing amazing. So it is also relevant to female players, mm-hmm. which is big for us. We just basically take the curriculum, which is a five-week cycle, and we work through specific topics that keep that are going to continue to come up through your journey as a soccer player. Mm-hmm. And and that's been that's been the key for us. I've particularly enjoyed at some of the banquets and or larger events that the club hosts when you have some of the alumni come back yes. and they've played at some of the highest levels in the world yeah. and they're coming back and they always hammer in on their time with the club. They do. And they always have a bit of fun with it as well, right? Well, because of the memories, they always bring up the memories and the jo- and, that's you know, right. The stories yes. are, are the key. Yeah. That's great. When you think of the sport today, I mean, it's it's just growing astronomically year over year in the United States. What are what are some of the common sort of characteristics or skill sets or or I don't know, just 
traits that uh, folks are looking for in children that are so young. Like, I'm always like, like, how do you know right. like that that seven-year-old yeah. is the next Simone or Ben Jones or, you know, or Danny Price? How do you know that? Yeah, it's it's funny. You see them at six or seven and you can tell, like, if if you watch them in a recreational game to begin with, you see one or two stand out and then you put them into the travel side of things yeah. and they still stand out at that level. And, you know, at that age, they're just following each other around, chasing each other in in huddles. But you always have that one or two players that can change direction so quickly. Their agility is phenomenal. So they'd be good at probably almost every sport. Sure. And then they just have a nose for goal. I mean, I was, I believe it or not. I nose for goal. I, I coached my son's four-year-old game last week and, uh, I was a little bit out of my depth with that one because they want, <laughs> prefer to tie laces and you go to the bathroom every two seconds. But there was two or three of the kids. They just all they do is they just know where the goal is, and it was like five nothing to our group within like three minutes. I was like, oh, but how'd you tell a six year? Uh, sorry, four year old to not go and score? You just don't. So yeah, you can tell quite early with these kids these days. What what are some of the? I, I've found that the the vision for the club continues. It almost it's almost like the vision for the club continues to get bigger. Yes. And you're already a big thinker, right? I mean, again, 500% over five years growth. What are some of the basic standards or expectations you have of your staff and your coaches that you think has consistently contributed to this like sort of like fanatical attraction power of families wanting their children to play there? I think it's that, you know, it's the, the secret sauce for me is just treating people the right way, you know, and all my staff have the ability to do that. Fine detail. Not every one of our staff are fine detail. Mm-hmm. You've got someone like Danny Price who's so fine detail and mm-hmm. he, he gets everything perfect and is so valuable to the club. And then you've got other guys that are just really good at like figuring out the humanistic piece, sure. you know, and so collectively together, we come together as a good group, but, you know, honesty, integrity, you know, every single one of them has got the ability to be self-motivated. So in this new world of remote learning and, you know, yeah. my coaches only get together six different locations, so they're not seeing each other all the time. So you just know, and you can trust the fact that they have higher standards for themselves than sure. ever I could put on them. So I think that's, you know, the key for our business. And, you know, we're going to, we continually, if you're not growing, you're dying. So we're constantly, wow. you know, the, the, the minute we get comfortable is when I get uncomfortable and that's just me as a person in general. So, and I think the the staff share those same kind of feelings without it being something that we, we have posted anywhere. Sure. Um, so we, we'll just keep pushing and we, we get excited for the growth. But the number one thing we've got to do is never compromise the, the experience for the kids and the, and the parents. That's number one. Yeah, that's wonderful. So, so then let, let's look ahead. 500% growth in five years. Next five years. Ah, oh, 700% growth. <laughs> <laughs> well, know, pay, paint a picture. Yeah, paint what, a picture. Are, what are we yeah. looking at? Well, when you grow so quickly, you know, you've got to make sure that you, you can stay on top of things. So we've got to make sure that we're this small staff that was a family-based club, which yeah. is still a lot of the same people. Are working harder, putting more time into it. So we've got to make sure we we get the right people in to, to help uh, complement that staff. We're going to embark on a journey into Ontario. Uh, we're about to, wow. to sign a yeah. We're about to sign a club in Toronto, which is exciting. And we're looking to continue to expand throughout Michigan if we can, and maybe a couple of other you know areas in the Midwest. But there will come a point where. Uh, we say enough is enough, but I, I don't know where that is at this point. We're, do, we're doing well. We're growing. Mm-hmm. Good people are getting rewarded for their hard work, and that's mm-hmm. that's that's exciting. That's great. That's awesome. 
what's something that you think the community should be aware of? You think of our listeners. I mean, there's a, a tremendous density of listeners and supporters of the show in Michigan uh, because this is where we're based out of. What's something that maybe the community or that families or just advocates of the club could do or help with or just be mindful of to support this vision of growth you have? Yeah, I think, you know, there, there are so many kids out there playing and, and trying to make choices. And I would just I would just hope that people do the due diligence when trying to search for the right, yeah. you know, club for them. And there are a lot of very, very good clubs out there. There are leaders in other clubs that I'm very good friends with. And we're not going to be for everyone. But mm-hmm. for me, if you want to be in a developmental pathway and see a progressive development of your child, but most importantly, have fun during that time, because mm-hmm. the way our training sessions are laid out is... The, the kids love playing, you know, they, yes. they love the stuff that we do in the training sessions. It's very strategically thought out from Liverpool. Yes. We, can't, we can't take all the credit. Uh, we're very fortunate with our relationship with Liverpool that we get to deliver this curriculum. And, you know, I would say just, just make sure that when you're making a decision for your child and, and I'll backtrack a little bit, I've, I've met many, many people over the years that have, have got regrets from forcing their kids into an environment where it's got to be win at all costs mm-hmm. And development takes a backseat. And that is absolutely the opposite of what should happen. Uh, winning is great. We all want to win. But at a young age, development is the key. So getting them in the right environment, whether it's with us or with another club, is absolutely you know the primary objective. Let's unpack that a little bit more because firsthand, I've witnessed that. I've seen at times people pivot from the club or to the club and whether they were coming or leaving, maybe it wasn't the best decision for the child actually, which is the only one that really matters in the equation. Maybe unpack that a little bit more. What's something that the club does? What are some systems or some philosophies the club does or has that help to support ensuring that families are making the best decision, whether they're coming or leaving? Yeah, we're almost honest to a fault. And it's hard to say that, right? But I've, I've been in conversations with, with, with my coaches that have been with a family that's making a decision to come play for us or not. And sometimes you just know sure. that the decision isn't right for them to come to us. And we'll yeah. be honest. There's also situations, you know, obviously with Simone and Danny and Kevin and all the, all these great yeah. people where they have had players that have been with them to a certain point. And maybe that player is either outgrown or needs a different challenge. Mm-hmm. We're the first to pick up the phone with another club and say, Hey, we want you to to take this young man or young lady off our, off our uh, wow. books because it's best for them. So yes. I think just, again, it, it's the same thing we talked about at the beginning. Good people, honest. Yes. I never want to be in a position where I have a player that's playing for us or one of our coaches working for us that don't genuinely want to be there. I would never stand in the way of, of growth. So if they need to leave or go somewhere yeah. else, then, then fine. But we try to educate our families coming in that what we offer and but we try to not put them under so much pressure because it is a big decision. Sure. And I think a lot of the time the kids make the decision because they're with their friends with another club or Yes. I I'd say that that's probably although that's very important, it's not so bad to go and meet new people and make new friends. And I think a lot of people stay with the same clubs for long periods of time even when they're not happy just because of the, you know, the friendship piece. Sure. Yeah, that's um I'm I'm glad you share that. I often think about how any organization that has its people as its greatest asset, which I know the club does, yes. right? That's how you look at your student athletes and the families. Mm-hmm. It It is kind of the responsibility of everybody to help the club thrive and grow. Yes, It's through the aggregation of marginal gains. Every extra family that joins the club yeah. allows the club to benefit from being able to provide more resources back. Correct. 
to the athletes. Yeah. Am I correct? 100%. And I mean, I've seen that firsthand. Yeah, we're a family, you know, that, and, and, I, and I used to think that, and it's still a lot of clubs are this way, and a lot of clubs have really good, like they have one or two really good coaches that that coach becomes like the franchise team. You know what I mean? And yes. they do their own thing and yes. they have their own standards, which that one coach might do a wonderful job with that club. But then the next team or the team down in the same age group is treated completely different because another coach is doing things completely different. And that's why when we made this jump to Liverpool, we all got on the same page. And there's certainly a higher power than me saying, you need to step in line and work together. Otherwise, we're not the right place for you. I've got to do a hard pivot because I just realized as, we, as I was thinking about the fact that we have to wrap up, yeah. I wanted to talk to you about when you played for the Detroit Neon oh, and Rockers. Oh my <laughs> and so for those of you who've not been hardcore footballers, <laughs> these clubs were owned. This was the professional indoor soccer league. And these clubs were owned by the Pistons. Yes. The Detroit Pistons. Yes. And you played at the Palace. I did. Favorite, most memorable story from those playing days. Oh, my goodness. Um, I think probably walking into the Pistons locker room, which was our home locker room, after just signing my first professional contract. And we had training. And then after training, walking into the showers. Yeah. And the showers were about nine foot tall. So that's, <laughs> it, it, the, it was actually cold by the time the water got to me, you know? Being so short, so uh, but yeah, no, that probably probably that. But we had some great moments. We we flew round ball one all over, you know, America and, uh, and Mexico, and it was it was wonderful. Favorite memory playing outside of the U.S. When I was fourteen, I went to Germany. Uh, we we took a, the ferry across to the Hook of Holland, and then traveled over to Germany. And we played. We I stayed with a a local family. I was just literally dropped Love off it. and met. A uh, guy, I don't know his name now, I, I forget. <laughs> and I just was with this family. I stayed the night, woke up in the morning. They they shoved a, 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 a bread board in front of me, a load of breads and meats and a toaster. And I sat there and made my breakfast and then jumped in the car. We went off and we went and played. And we trained with this club and played games against them. And it was brilliant. I love it. Favorite teammate that you ever played with in your life? Favorite. Favorite teammate that I ever played with. you got to tell me one story. Yeah. I'm trying to think of a story that I can go with it. I think probably, arguably, Malai Walton. Um, okay. Malai is uh, in the, I think he's in the Hall of Fame in Flint. Um, okay. He's from Flint originally. Was one of the best players I, I, I ever played with, fortunately. And I'll tell you a quick one. So I had a bad injury in a game and um, I, I went to head a ball and me and the player that were trying to head the ball missed the ball and we clashed faces. So I had 23 stitches in my top lip, plastic surgery. And, you know, he 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 was a bit taller than me and he turned and I, he had 17 stitches in the side of his face. In that same game, there was a broken leg. I mean, that's how crazy the game was for, for Oakland back then. But I remember getting the stitches put in and then the plastic surgeon put these, you know, the stickers? Yeah. Not stickers, oh, yeah. butterfly stitches yeah, yeah. or whatever. Right. So I looked like I had this white strip across my face. <laughs> so then I walked in the room and Malai looked at me and he goes... We got a new nickname for you. We're going to call you Quick after Quick Milk. As <laughs> if I just <laughs> drank a right. glass of milk. So I never forget him, him looking at me like, what's wrong with your face? He goes, oh, all right, you're going to be called Quick from now on. So yeah, Malai was um, one of the best players I've ever played with. Incredibly athletic and and uh, just always had a great time when he was on the pitch. So, yeah. You know, and I, and I, sorry if I missed other great no, no, he jumps out in my mind every time. We're still good friends. He comes to the Flint City Bucks games all the time. So I, I have to ask you this. So I have this segment that I'm going to start called Myth or Magic. 
And what it is, is, is it a myth that right. this actually helps you be great? Or is right. it truly magical right. in your overall outcome and performance? I'm only going to ask you one of the four I'd prepared because of time. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Does what we eat matter? Yes. Magic, right? Total magic, yes, right? Yes, magic. What's a good diet for a footballer? You know what? Now for a footballer? Yeah, or back today. Then? No, no, yeah, yeah. Today, the way that the players eat is unbelievable. The way that we used to eat back then yeah, was forget fish about and it. chips and a cup yeah, of tea and that was it. Um, so no, today is definitely, these lads are all on salads and good protein and uh, the nutrition element, by the way, what we've got at Liverpool oh, is through the roof. Incredible, so, right? Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. So yeah, uh, they eat way better than I do and I need to get back on that train as quickly yeah. as I can. That's awesome. So, I mean, look, this was a great conversation. I actually wish we had a lot more time because I wanted to focus in more on the neon and the rockers. Uh-huh. Um, I Well, I'm old enough to remember the indoor soccer league yeah. and, oh, yeah. and I actually remember those teams even because I was in Chicago at that time. We were here with Coach Andy Wagstaff, retired professional soccer player, Hailing from England, played at Oakland University, incredible, incredible university. Any parent listening to this that's, you know, helping their children navigate the significant decision of where you will go and 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 begin that transition into adulthood and becoming a servant leader in whatever industry and pr- profession you choose, look at Oakland University, take a hard look at the place. Great for student athletes, but head coach Flint City Bucks. Yep. Let's let's get back, right? Let's get back uh, to the podium yeah. with the organization. I know you've got a great club. Uh, again, great hearing stories about Coach Parsons, uh, who's now the general manager there, and uh, and the president owner of Liverpool Football Club International Academy, Michigan. Excited to hear that you're going to branch into Ontario, mm-hmm. yep. and can't wait to see a thousand percent growth over the next oh, five that years. That would be nice. Right? Yeah. Congrats to the entire club, the community, the families, and the coaches. Coach, thanks for being with me today. Thank you, Manny. If you like what you heard today, please be sure to follow, rate, and review at the podium on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Post about the show on social media and tag us. We'll repost to share our gratitude. Also, consider telling a friend about the show. Friend to friend remains the best way to get the word out about our podcast and these conversations.